0: Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, Explorers. I'm Pam LaRicchia, and this is episode number 319 of the podcast. It's the 2nd of March, 2022, as I record this intro. And this week, I have a wonderful conversation with Missy Willis to share. Missy is a longtime unschooling mom of two and was first on the podcast back in episode 155. She joins me again to share more about her unschooling journey. We talk about the way that unschooling leads us to question everything from conventional parenting and education to productivity and success. And we dive deep into a few common misconceptions about peaceful parenting. Missy also shares several mantras that she has found valuable and grounding as a parent. It was so much fun to catch up with Missy and to dig into some of the foundational concepts of unschooling and parenting. Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your support pays for the hosting and transcription, as well as going toward the time I spend creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now, here's my conversation with Missy. Welcome. I'm Pam Ricchia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Missy Willis. Hi, Missy. Hello, Pam. Hello. Now, Missy was on the podcast back in 2018, and I am really looking forward to catching up with you. For listeners, I'll link to the previous episode in the show notes so you can go back and learn more about Missy's initial move to unschooling. But to get us started now, can you just share with us a bit about you and your family and what's everybody interested in right now?
1: Sure. So we are a family of four. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina with my husband and our two children. And I said a family of four, but really we have two pet, three pets too. So, you know family of seven. We have two cats and a dog. (laughs) And um, so my son is 19 now and he officially graduated from our homeschool this past summer. So summer of 2021. And then my daughter is 14 and a half and their interests have stayed fairly consistent, probably even since the last time we talked. My daughter still loves horses, participates in any activity that she can related to horses. And currently she is working or volunteering on Sundays to help another instructor teach younger children. And then she also takes a lesson that day. So she's at the barn for about four to four and a half hours on Sunday. Um, My son is still very much into soccer and any physical activity that he can participate in. And he's also working has a few little jobs here and there and he is enrolled in our local community college to finish his um diploma. I'm trying I was trying to remember because they called it a certificate at one point and then they changed it anyway he's getting a diploma in simulation and game development.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And how about
1: you? Oh yes, I'm very busy. <laughs> <laughs> There's I have my fingers in a lot of things right now. So I just started a podcast, actually. Last year, I dipped my toes into that world and got two episodes out and took a break pretty much for the holidays and then decided with the new year, I have fresh perspectives and and new ideas. And so I will start putting out more episodes um, next week there'll be a third one, and then just kind of staggered after that. I don't have a particular schedule at the moment; it's more like what works when and um, when the mood strikes, and when people can can join. So there's that, and then honestly, I, I really I love to write. I love to sit with my thoughts and try to formalize them a little bit more. So the idea of putting together some sort of a book or a it's always in the background and I've gotten so close, but then I haven't quite pulled the trigger yet on a couple of things. Um, So yeah, I'm still working on that part, but, um, and then anytime we get a chance to take little day trips, I will, we'll jump on those and gardening. I love being in my yard, although, you know, it's a fall, I mean the winter, so there's not tons to do right now in the yard, but I'm sitting here looking out my window right now, thinking, "Well, there's actually a lot to do. <laughs> 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 I need. I probably do need to get out there and clean some leaves and pick up a lot of sticks. We've had quite a few windstorms here recently, so that those are there's a lot of le- There's a lot of limbs in the yard."
0: Well, it'll it, it'll keep you busy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for
0: sure. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah. Now, when we connected for this call, you had mentioned to me that one of the things you like about unschooling is how it not only leads people to question the education system but eventually other systems as well. And like, as you were talking about all these ideas for, you know, sharing, making connections and wanting to share through podcasts, through books, like just all those things bubbling up. I could just feel that. that The things you were talking about. So I would love to hear some more about your experience with this.
1: Well, so I think about when we first started unschooling and gave it a name it once there was sort of a title attached to it and not that i'm attached to labels necessarily it's more like it just had sort of a a container that's the best way i can describe it it's like a we had a container this was what it felt like and looked like it is as if it was a a string that was attached to all these other ideas that we have as parents and just as growing up in our, you know, our, our society. Once you pull the string on one thing or that thread, it seems to start pulling and unraveling down the line. And once I will say I got to unschooling mostly because of the way I wanted to parent. I wanted to be intentionally parenting my child. And that was connection first and relationship first. And also reflecting on the ways in which I was raised and those around me were raised and questioning what worked and what did not work, what worked for me personally. And I know everybody's different and every every child's temperament is different. So even the same two children in one family can experience their family very differently depending on their temperaments. But I I remember thinking the parent dynamic, parent-child dynamic was fraught with tension and um, control and lack of communication. And not just for me, and I'm not... I, almost when I say that, it sounds like my child was terrible and it was not. So <laughs> I want to be clear. This comes from this comes from somebody who is just always a deep thinker. and I've been that way since I was a little girl. I used to hide in my room and and read books and write and had like tons of notebooks and constantly was finding quotes that that spoke to me and I'd write them down. I wrote letters to my parents. <laughs> so I was just always writing and and getting those thoughts that were in my head out onto something visible to to read or to share. So, so having said that, it, it was just the reflective personality that I have. And I also have a brother who struggled terribly in school and he, he's my middle brother. So I'm the youngest of three. And when I think about his experiences, he actually was kind of the impetus for me to go back to college and get a master's in special education because I saw how much he struggled and I saw also how much he knew and what he was capable of. And it felt unfair that somebody, because he didn't, he didn't do school typically was discarded as a problem child and got all these horrible labels and basically stuck into a track that essentially said, you're a problem, you're difficult. Uh, it's you that's wrong. And, and it's you that's affect um almost defective in a way like you're not matching what we need you to do. So therefore you're the problem. And unfortunately in the eighties, the support system was not terribly great for children like my brother. And also my parents were just at a loss as well. They were sort of at the, at the mercy of the school system and being told what to do and how to handle him and what was okay. And what was not to the point where he failed and was held back. So he's three years older than me. And um, he was in the eighth grade and dropped out of school at 16. So I was technically catching up with him in school. Because in the 80s, you just you failed, you failed, you stayed back, you stayed back. So he had two, two or three, yeah, I guess it was three, almost three times, or no, two times he failed. And then I was catching up to him. So you know, that was, that was hard to watch him suffer the way he did. And so all of those experiences, early experiences sort of led to me thinking I want to do things differently and I want to be much more intentional and mindful. And so when my son became, he was four, he actually was four, uh, almost five. So he could have started school at four I remember thinking, you know, we just had my daughter. She was six months old. And I was like, there's just no way I'm going to separate the two of them. I just can't. That doesn't make no sense to me. He's still so little. And why don't we just give it a try? Let's just not send him to school because uh, compulsory school age in North Carolina is age seven which by the way, I did not even know having a master's in special education that was not even talked about, you know, and maybe it was touched on in classes somewhere, but for whatever reason, I had to look that kind of stuff up in my mind. I was like, he's almost five. I have to put him in school. Um, and thankfully have a, a community of people who were already doing, who were already doing unschooling and homeschooling to, um, use as a wonderful guide and support system. So, I, I think I might have answered your question. I <laughs> feel like i got a tangent. No, that was really
0: <laughs> fascinating. I mean, your brother's story is um I can see how that would lead you to to dig into that area. You know, like you said, you went and got your master's in special ed because you could see how that system failed him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that led you, like even at that point to question it before you had. Your own children. And that opens your eyes there. But and then, as you said, that really gets us questioning all the systems, because once there's something that is like, you know, this exists and is accepted in our culture, in our society as a given. Once you question that first thing, it kind of opens you up to question so many well, what else is do I imagine as a given? Do I accept as a given? Um, that maybe doesn't make sense if I look at it a little more closely,
1: right? Yes, for sure. For sure. And so yeah, when when the parenting paradigm is investigated. And you're looking at your child in front of you and you're thinking, I want to honor his spirit and I want to ensure that he has the environment to grow up in that helps him become the best version of himself and support him in ways that I w- maybe wasn't supported or my parents didn't know how to support me when I was younger. And then to take all of that, all that energy that I put into parenting him for those four and a half, almost five years to then turn it over to a very impersonal system that is not at all set up to think of the individual. It's all about the group. It's all about making things streamlined and efficient for the the structure of the school model. Mm -hmm. It made no sense. It felt like it just felt wrong. <laughs> that's, that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. And I even, even though it felt wrong, this is the crazy thing that Pam, even though it felt wrong. And in my heart, I knew there was still that part of my brain. There was still that little voice in the back of my head going, but, but, you know, it, well, this is what everybody's doing. And you're, you're just, you're just going to buck the system again, aren't you? And, you're just gonna <laughs> create trouble. and, um, because when I was, when I went to, so I went to NC state and, um, graduated there with a degree in psychology and then worked for Duke University Medical Center on a research study for kids with ADHD. And I got involved in that because of the psychologist or the psychology professor that was my my counselor who was wonderful. And I learned so much from her. She recommended me for this job. And I got into the world of psychiatry and education. So they all combine together. And um, so that was another experience that gave me such a big perspective of what it looks like from working with a child, how a child's life is so influenced by not only their parents, but when they go into the school, the teacher, the, the admin, And then if there's a problem, then there's a psychiatrist and then there's a psychologist. And then there's, so there's all these people who surround this child to try to make them fit into what the system is saying. And then there's like, well, what about what the kid needs really what they need? And so it's that whole fitting that square peg into a round hole. And I got to see that play out multiple times and for several years. To the point where in my master's program, I went to my advisor and said, I do not want to get a teaching certificate, which meant I would have to have quit my full-time job and go work in uh, the classroom for, I don't even remember how long it was now, maybe four months, five months and not be paid. And even though it wasn't about money, it was more about principle because I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. And she said, well, we can, we can work around that. And so she created a customized plan for me to finish my program without having to do the the teaching certificate side of things. Um, And I remember being like, yes, that's that's a good idea. (laughs) We're going to go that route.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's so interesting. All the different lenses that really, uh, I feel like they helped you see how influential Um, the outside structure was and Mm -hmm. how much it was about molding the kids into the vision yeah, rather than, you know, just respecting the child, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and meeting them there. Like there is just so much, so many assumptions. I think that within the system that the adults make that, that, we don't, we don't even come to question like that. The goal is to fit into the classroom for the child's, you know, advantage so that they can learn because that's the only way to learn is, is this environment. So, you know, they, so often they really have, they feel they have the child's best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. Right. But they can only see that one path to get there. For right. them, so yeah, all those different ways that you came at um, the idea of questioning—it's like just so many different bricks, you know, mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that that came together to to help you question that one system. And I love the point too. So many people when we come down schooling, like me, completely included. It was. Um, from the educational perspective, as in, instead of going to school, this is another way for them to learn, right? So, you're questioning the education system. Um, but as you talked about, soon parenting comes. Like, at first, it wasn't about the parenting at all, right? It was just about the education and how we were going to do that differently. But, really the next step when you come um, when you discover unschooling and choose to start walking that path we do start to question so much of that conventional wisdom now around parenting it's like oh my gosh there's more here Mm -hmm. and I wanted to dive into a couple of um, misconceptions because uh, when we start um, down this path you start hearing terms like you know peaceful parenting etc and I feel like, so there are a couple of misconceptions that can get in our way at first when we start, okay, so what's this peaceful parenting thing? And one that I've come across quite often is that, and and it was in my mind too, like peaceful parenting sounds like, okay, when we get to peaceful parenting, um, we're not going to have any more conflicts, <laughs> right? that our our goal with peaceful parenting is to eliminate conflicts. If we're doing it right, you know, we're still in that Mm -hmm. phase where there's a right and a wrong. And it's still like adults and children and children as a group, not as individuals, which you, you know, alluded to earlier. We are all so uniquely individual. We're all very different. Um, So that was one of the misconceptions that we're trying to eliminate conflict. And another is that the idea of being peaceful is akin to the idea of being passive, right? So if I'm Mm -hmm. peaceful, I'm not going, because I'm not going to, I don't want to generate any conflict, et cetera, right? So, but those two ideas can really get in the way of moving to these connected and trusting and respectful relationships that we're talking about in the unschooling space. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about those
1: because those can really get in our way, can't they? For sure, yes, and the peaceful parenting ad—that's yeah, uh, that's that's true. There's a lot of people who think peaceful. Oh, that's passive, or, or you're just all over there sitting around drumming and holding hands and singing songs. <laughs> 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 and that you know, it's like okay, it's just a word, but it's amazing how powerful that word can be, mm-hmm. and also how combative people become because you say peace, and automatically you're like, oh, you're never gonna stand up for yourself, or you're never gonna you know, put boundaries down and your child's going to run all over you and it's going to be chaos. And no, that's not what it is at all. It's all about that mindset the parent has in the relationship because our children are not born to us, uh, with the, all the abilities to be independent. You know, they're born as vulnerable creatures. And, you know, there's even the theory of the fourth trimester, which is three months after a child's born, there's still that that next trimester where they really need to be close to the parent and have connection and they don't need to be separated because it's almost, you know, it because they really do need that warmth and the comfort of a, a human body and a heartbeat. And, um, and it, and it's also deeply ingrained in their brains for survival reasons. So the idea is to be aware of what is biologically and physiologically necessary for our children to thrive and while we know about the physical part of it, is in terms of shelter and food, there's also the emotional side. And for me, the peaceful parenting part is about dealing with the emotions and a dealing with the mental health and awareness of our children and ourselves. And so, what that has looked like for me over the years, and I will say at the beginning, when I kind of got into it, there was that question of, Like you said, am I doing it wrong? Oh gosh, did I just say something that? Oh, that's not peaceful. Uh oh, I'm in trouble. (laughs) You know, like I, I, I've ruined my child. And now, now he's never gonna, you know, he's never gonna forgive me. Or so it's recognizing that when there is a conflict, which there will inevitably be conflict with our families, with our children, with our spouses, with everybody we have a relationship with. It's not that we're going to look for them; they just will happen. You know, it's about how we're going to address them. You know, do we go straight for straight for winning? Do we go, do we see a problem? And we're like, we're, we're going to be in control of this right now. And, and, and I'm going to lead the way, or do we go, there's a problem or there's an issue or there's something that's happened now we have an opportunity. And so it's a matter of just taking a moment to realize that if something happens that in our own brains, that feels like it set off an alarm, it doesn't mean we have to respond as if it's an alarm. Maybe just take a deep breath. If you have the option to do that, some things obviously you need to respond to fairly quickly. You don't want your child running out into the street and then having, you know, do you think running into the street's a good idea? (laughs) you know, you have to use good judgment when it comes to, in common sense, when it comes to how we want to interact with our kids. But it It is just a matter of recognizing that you have a space of time where you can stop and respond instead of react and work together versus bulldozing or just coming in with like, this is how it has to be done. Um, And also getting some feedback from our kids as in, if let's just say i'll use my children as an example with their when they were younger and there were certain um certain ideas that one child might have had about how the day should unfold and another one was not in agreement if we were able to just sit and talk through that so what is it about this activity that you like and that feels good for you and what is it about this activity that you're not happy about or that doesn't bring you joy and as soon as you start asking these questions, you realize things that you never even knew existed. You know, for instance, one child might not want to go because she says, you know, when I go, I really don't have anything to do. There's not really anybody there that I actually play with or I interact with, or they might say, well, the last time I went, so-and-so was, you know, this happened and you didn't know about it. So it's just about digging and being curious and keeping keeping that line of communication open and always being willing to be flexible as much as you possibly can, because you are not, you're not, you're, you're raising, you're creating a relationship with other human beings that have their own ways of, of seeing and and being in the world too.
0: Yeah. And really accepting those as, as their truth, right. It, mm-hmm. you know, and rather than, than judging them for me, the, I think peaceful parenting, I think, one of the fundamental shifts for me at least was the change in the power dynamic. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's what you're describing there. It's instead of, you know, thinking of our relationship or my job as a parent as even like, even trying to use peaceful language, but, but still expecting that they, you know, Basically kind of fall in line or, you know, I'm the parent, I know better, I have more experience, etc. It's that shift away from that power over to really accepting that they're another human being with, um, you know, with interesting ideas, with um, information, Mm-hmm. That they can share about a situation, like you were saying, like you know what, last time it didn't go well. You know, there was there was some conflict there. I'm not comfortable going in again, Um, or at least going in the same way. So maybe part of the conversation is, you know what, well, let's bring something you can that we can do together. So then mm-hmm. I'm there with you, etc. So that you won't be left on your own to engage with something. You know, there are so many creative possibilities when you move beyond like that, yes, no kind of power dynamic or expectation um, that we can have of our children and, and, and just really work together, right? It's, it is a shift in that power to just seeing um, them as equal human beings, it doesn't mean we have less, we don't have, we don't share our experience. You know, absolutely. We have that information. We might have more information, et cetera, but those are the things that we can bring into the conversation as we're working through what they come to trust in us is that we are open to having the conversations Mm -hmm. and that, you know, because if, if they keep sharing and we just keep discounting, Um, their experiences, they're going to eventually, you know what, I'm not going to share that because I feel bad when I say, you know, that didn't, I had a bad experience and, oh, that wasn't so bad. You know, like that won't happen again. You know, if we belittle Mm -hmm. um, their experiences and the information that they're bringing to us, they're going to pull away from that. But when we can be, you know, respectful of what they're sharing with us and they know that we will accept it fully and work with them to figure out ways. Like that's a that whole piece, right? It's not being passive. Um, it is working together when they see our our effort and our just our trust and respect for them as a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how we move through the conflicts. And yes. Conflicts is a stronger word. Something, it's just a challenge or an issue or something that's just not sitting right with them. But we're not, you're not going to get away from those things. That mm-hmm. is life. Those things are going to bubble up. They bubble up for us still, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> they will forever bubble up. But it's that difference in the, the relationship that we have with them that, for me, that's the parenting aspect. It, it, it moves to more connection, respect, and trust and we'll work together to figure those things out absolutely yeah that works for everyone right
1: well and you make me think of a time when I so when the kids were a bit younger we would go out when it was a fall and put a fire on outside and or if they weren't awake I would start it and they would meander and eventually make their way out there and I remember one one morning we got on the conversation somehow about driving. I really can't remember, but I, my son said something like, I think I could drive you know, as well as any uh, other people who have their driver's license. And he might've been like 12 at the time. And I was like, you know what? you probably good. <laughs> He's just that kind of personality. But we got into this great conversation about what it means to be an adult and what's the difference between an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old. An 18-year-old technically is an adult. And then, you know, what about these laws, about this and that and the other? And we just had this wonderful conversation about numbers and these arbitrary numbers that are put on things. Instead of looking at the individuals and their abilities versus, well, you're this age and therefore you can't, or you're this age and therefore you can. And What I have found with them multiple times is that they know when they're not able to do something and they're not capable and they're honest about it, but they're able to be honest about it because I'm trying to be honest about what I don't know. And what I want them to always remember is their strength in saying you don't know something. And and you will also open up, I think, more conversation when you say, no, I, I don't know how to do that. Because when you go into a situation feeling like you always have the answers or you have to have the answers, which I do feel like, at least from my personal experience and what I witnessed is that when you're in that school dynamic, you need to have the answer. Yeah. And when you don't, you feel, you feel kind of like, okay, well, I should have known that. Or you feel embarrassed maybe or shamed or judged. And, and so your goal then becomes to always have the answer, even when you don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That feeling of judgment um, is is so pervasive, right? Because mm-hmm. not, it also <laughs> scares you into not answering so often if you're not sure what the answer is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the just trying to avoid being wrong or being judged or made fun of. Like it really um, shuts people down in that they don't want to share. Um, little pieces, or ideas, or you know, or even solutions that might work, right? Because yeah, that's how, how schools kill creativity. You know, from Sir Ken Robinson. Yes, his <laughs> TED Talk is all about how um dampening to their spirit, really, mm. right? Be. Because there's just so much fear of judgment. I And that's what I remember from, from my mm-hmm. school career as well. You know, it was, mm-hmm. you know, I will sit in, sit here, I'll take it all in, I'll study it, I'll, you know, regurgitate it for the test. Wonderful. But there was so... Um, less, so much less discovery, so many less questions like, okay, well, I have a question about this, but that's not where they're going with it. So obviously, you know, that's not important. You know, there was, it just, it's, it's a completely different dynamic, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Right. And then when they are asking their questions, when they're, oh, I don't know that, and without judgment, we can just, like, pick up that conversation, that is also where learning shines as well, right? Because that is where their question is. That's the moment. That is what they're thinking about right now. So that's where they're hungrily looking for new connections.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: That is also where, like, that's where the relationship connects the most. That's where learning happens the most. Like everything. Uh, When, when you have that open space to just see where things flow, see where conversations flow, see where activities flow, when you're open to that without judgment, oh my gosh, like,
1: it's a different world, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Well, and, and I remember saying at one point, I don't, you know, when, when Daniel maybe was like, five, no, he, he was older than that. At some point along their journey, multiple times, I thought to myself, I'm learning more now that I am homeschooling my children than I did, you know, and I remember thinking, what the heck? Like, how did I not know this? Or, or, wow, this is so interesting. I'm actually going to go read the rest of this book because I want to know more. And the idea that, that learning, being in school for 12 years, then going off to college, then going to more college. Whoops. um, There was just so much stuff that was missed and I know you can't learn everything and not everybody's expected to have like a million different um, topics that they can dive deeply into but i had i saw how when my children were interested in something they really became very masterful at it they they didn't stop at just the basics they learned then they read and they watched videos and they asked for resources and it was fascinating to watch it stick too that was the other piece of it like they haven't had one single test they didn't do one project <laughs> they haven't filled out a worksheet and look at them you know It's just, they they knew it. And my son, when he was 15, he had had been saving his money up to build a computer. And I thought when he started talking to me about this idea, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to have to take a class. I'm going to have to watch some YouTube videos. I'm going to have to get some sort of, I'm going to have to call somebody. And he comes to me and he's like, mom, I got it. I know what to do. I've already figured out all the stuff I want. He essentially created an Amazon shopping cart and just put everything in the cart until he raised enough money or earned enough money. And he turned 15 and we bought everything and it came within a week. And to see him put that computer together was just, wow. (laughs) He's in my mind. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have to do all this stuff. And he had it, he had it under control. And all he needed from me was to be excited for him and to support him and to answer questions if they did come up. But it was as if all those years of Lego building led to this gigantic computer build. (laughs) Cause he did, he was sitting on the table and I'm like, Oh, there's this piece and it clicks into this part. And then you have to pull this out and you, so watching him do that. I mean, I learned how to build a computer from my 15 year old Mm -hmm. and it, I mean, we learn so much from them and anybody when they're willing to take their interest as far as, as they can it, and, and, and their, their joy and their energy and their vitality around learning is palpable. So how can you not be excited for them when you see their eyes light up and their whole body respond in a way that shows they are fully invested. And, you know, if, if, if we were able to see their brains light up, they, they would be on fire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know, it's so interesting too, like through your experience there and I've had that same experience, how we still jump to mm-hmm. like classes and, you know, as the first, Oh, you know, I, I need to learn this or that, that we need to kind of learn it first to be helpful and supportive for Mm -hmm. our kids. And, you know, I love that space. Like you said, I'm just saying to myself because that's one thing we learn is like, okay, you know, I don't have to jump in right away. It is more helpful to just like see how things are unfolding so that I can have those initial, oh, oh well, I should do this and and I've got to learn it this way, et cetera. But we can it, it back back to what you were talking about: react versus respond, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of reacting and jumping in with those things, just to sit with them a little bit. Um, and choose how we respond when we let them give them the space to lead while we're also, they know that they can ask us, you know, and that we can be there to support them and we can pass them that part from across the table so that they can snap it together. Like that we're fully there and we are, you know, engaged with them around it, but that the first path that we jump to, um, that we imagine through, This project isn't the only path, isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily the best path. It's just
1: a possibility and it's their path to choose, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we can get in the way. Yeah. We can really get in the way because, and it's funny, I was, my daughter, we were out today together and got into the conversation about learning. I'm not really even sure how that popped up. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about learning and, and I, and I recalled, um, a conversation prior about how, if I, if, if it was dependent, if my kids had to depend on me for all the knowledge, they would never be anywhere close to where they are right now, <laughs> because it's impossible as a teacher, quote unquote, parent teacher, homeschooler, whatever you want to call yourself, you cannot know everything there is to know in a way that makes sense for each of the individual people that you're in in relationship with. And so that's why that relationship has to be that symbiotic back and forth. I'm here for you for this and very clear on here's my, here's what I see and here's what I understand, but here's also where my knowledge falls short. So tell me what you need from me and, and you've got my full support and So uh, yeah, it's like with anything, my brother's very interested in a particular supplement, for instance, I might find something and be like, Hey, I found this, you know, have you heard about this? And I'll send it along the way. And then same with my kids. If if I know what their interests are and what they've been engaging in, if I find something of interest that I think they might enjoy, whether it's a video or something on Instagram, or I'll just pop it over to them and say, Hey, I saw this, Does this, look? you know, just because that's what I love when somebody sends me something because they know, oh, Missy enjoys gardening or she enjoys learning about who knows what a lot of things, <laughs> <laughs> all the things, <laughs> all the things. <laughs> you know, and somebody sends something to me then I'm like, oh yeah, thank you. I appreciate that you thought of me for, for that particular topic. And that's the way I have seen over the years. It just, it's impossible to know everything that. That, that you, it's just impossible to keep up. <laughs> so you just kind of have to get out of the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. To, like to think that we would be the only resource certainly as we mm-hmm. get older, like uh, to, to support them as they're exploring and figuring things out rather than feeling we need to know the answers and, mm-hmm. and dispense with them. Now, Um, I recently saw one of your posts on Instagram that was about mantras and I was hoping you could share a few of your favorites and why you find them helpful. Like I found that really interesting.
1: Oh, the one about the parent mantras. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so the thing is when, like I said to you before, when I was younger, I really there was something about quotes for me that really resonated. And I, and I think it's just the simplicity and yet how profound they can be. And so when it came to parenting and, and being a topic that I particularly enjoy discussing and learning about, it felt like a logical thing to do, to create a little list of of things that really matter to me um, and to, and to the relationships I, I aim to, to create with my children. So relationship first, and I mentioned that earlier when it came to us deciding to unschool, unschooling happened because relationship first. Mm-hmm. So it was parenting and then the educational piece pops into our world. Like he's five. Now he must do all the things that are, you know, on the list of, of curriculum and, and, what the school says he needs to know. So that was, that was one. And then the listen, pay attention, observe, because one thing I have noticed (laughs) is, is that parents talk so much. They just talk too much. And I just, there was an incident one day at, um, at a park and to hear and 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 of course, it's you know we're all in a different space, learning and growing and trying our best and doing what we can with the knowledge that we have. And but the over talking of children was is so loud to me, and I notice it a, a lot. So if a child is trying to express themselves or make it clear what their interests are, and the parent is just not hearing it. I remember thinking, you just have to shh, just shh. If everybody just did that, it would be so much more calm. (laughs) And, you know, and even um, my children, they, they, they were for sure very strong in their convictions of doing it by themselves. And that happened quite a few times where I would, you know, they would be making a craft, some sort of craft and need the scissors or, and I would, come in and take the scissors. And they were like, mama, do it by myself. I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. And so that, that whole idea of just stepping back and kind of get out of another way. But, but then on the flip side of not necessarily physically getting out of the way, but verbally too. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. That's a big one. Like I, you do see it all the time. Parents trying to like, they do, they jump into like almost sometimes that they're fearful of what their child might say. Like they want to tell them how they they're feeling mm-hmm. or what was wrong with the situation or what went wrong for them, et cetera. Like they, they feel like they're trying to be helpful, but they are completely turning the situation and making it about them and how they see things or how they think they should be seen
1: mm-hmm. or
0: felt Right. Mm-hmm. we tell our children how they're feeling rather than giving them the space and time and listening to them put together how mm-hmm. they're feeling right that's that's a that's a really big one i love that one
1: <laughs> yes but it it almost as if parents don't feel like they're doing their job if they don't interact or don't exactly. jump in yeah and that part of it is is a matter of just sitting back and observing because we find out so much about people if we just observe And let, and let kids sort of interact with the world and, and watch how they engage with people and, and things. And you, you notice you really, when you, so I, I recommend people to get notebooks and write down their observations of their children, especially, you know, if they're brand new to homeschooling or into this world of wanting to be more mindful pay. Do you really know who the people are in your home? Do you really can you really see what they love? Can you really see what lights them up? What, what activities they say yes to more of what activities they don't tend to enjoy. And when you sit down and, and very, and become aware of that, it it's kind of striking sometimes and you go, God, oh, wow. Oh, we were actually doing that a lot. And they had told me multiple times, we really don't want to do it, you know? So you yeah. just, it, it's, it's eyeopening. Um, and then the other one, oh, when you, when you don't know, say so. So that I mentioned that earlier, just it's okay to not know. And that was hard for me. I'm not going to lie because yeah. I was a straight A student and, you know, made the honor roll and all those things. And so I learned early that knowing the answer is, is important and has benefits and, um, it, it has led me to recognize how much i probably didn't do because i was afraid i was going to get it wrong yeah you know and i stifled my own growth because yeah. of fear of of messing up and i call that the mistake wound. Mm because we have that many of us do that. Oh, the mistake wound. Well, if you do that, it's there's, there's going to be shame involved. There's going to be, somebody's going to be upset with you or they're going to be disappointed. And so those mistakes you're not allowed to make because there's a lot of baggage that comes with them. And I have had to work a lot on being sure that I'm okay with not being right Mm -hmm. and trying to teach my children that as well.
0: Yeah, I found that
1: that was a quite the journey for me, too. <laughs>
0: but I, It was healing when I could at first say it to my kids because they weren't judgmental about it. You know, that it's like, you know, oh, I don't know that. Let's figure that out. Or, oh, I was wrong about that like they were not, they were just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, let's figure something else out. Or yeah, I was right about that. You know, it was so much easier to do with my kids. And then through that kind of healing that happened, that I got to a level where, you know, that was okay. And then eventually I could say it in different situations, right? Mm -hmm. You know, at first, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that to my partner or, you know, Mm -hmm. out and about in the world, because I knew the judgment that would come with that. Um, But when I gained some experience through it with my kids, and I found how valuable it was, and learned not to judge myself, right, right then i could bring that with me it became part of who i am and and i deeply understood that it was okay that was not wrong right and i didn't feel that shame around it anymore then i could start bring that part of me into more of my world
1: yeah yeah it it uh it opens you up and yeah. and it, it's freeing because and it also connects you to so many people because when you are okay with it. It it and it makes other feel other people feel okay with it. It makes other people go, okay, yeah, you know what? I don't have to know everything because that's kind of hard to try to do. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very freeing and yeah, it take it took a while. And like you said about your children, I felt like I was more able to do that for them and offer that space to them than mm-hmm. I was for myself yeah, before. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. For sure. It takes, it takes time. Do you want me to go through the other, the other two? There's two more. So, so learning happens all the time, everywhere. That again was pretty much something that I ran. I I got to when we were full on in the unschooling world, Mm -hmm. because to watch my son learn to read just through the activities he was doing and the interests that he had, even though we never sat down and did like formal teaching of. Of how to read. We read books together all the time and we had activities that incorporated the grammar and sentence structure and all that on the earlier side of things. But same with my daughter, she she read just from playing Minecraft and learned how to type and spell. And even if they're sitting alone somewhere on a hammock, you know, staring at the sky, they're learning. They're they're taking in information, they're either through, through their bodies or through their vision or through their ears, something's happening. And just because you can't quantify it or test it or have them even regurgitate what they've learned doesn't mean that they haven't learned because learning is a continuous experience and it there's a stacking that takes place once this is learned and that connects to this and then that stacks onto that. And how can we ever ever pull that apart for in an individual? We can't even do it for our own selves. There's sometimes I think about like how did I get to this point? Like I have no idea. (laughs) I just got here. But you did it. You had so many experiences that led to that point. And how would we we can't we just can't break that down for our children. And it's okay. We don't have to it's just a, it's a, it's the reality of being a human in the world and experiencing the world with all your senses.
0: Yeah. That, that was another interesting piece too. I found because, you know, whereas in my mind, I was trying to, you know, see all the learning, define all the learning, et cetera. Mm. For them, learning was more like just the air that they breathe. Yes. wasn't an act that they defined, mm-hmm. you know? So somebody coming up, and asking, or if I, what did you learn today? Right. I mean, that is almost a foreign question for them often. Like they'd have to sit and think and, and, you know, because it, it's often, it's almost like osmosis, right? Like, and mm-hmm. how do you define what that piece was, what that connection you made even if you're sitting in the hammock and you know things are just spinning in your subconscious like to define and to just put on a pedestal like what did you learn today that that what you learned defining it has and also that it has a value Mm. up over and above other things that you did because because just by the fact that that's what you're asking them right Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like um, visually, I think of it as looking at some absolutely beautiful landscape where there's clouds and a mountain and you see trees and you see a stream, birds, wildlife. And that is a child's learning. That's ev- It's so big and fast and interconnected. And then when you try to ask them what they learned, it's like taking this gigantic, I don't know, it's like chopping into the mountain and separating it out. And so now you've, you've taken this big picture and you've tried to turn it into little tiny boxes. And it, it just, it feels the best way. I just feels cold to me. (laughs) It doesn't feel that it feels cold and, and like inflexible and and rigid. It, it, instead of it, it being this beautiful, vast open kind of, rolling hill and continuous experience.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's such a, a clear way to, you know, describe it because yeah, you're making it smaller when you need to, it's almost like, you know, subjects, the way school Mm -hmm. um, breaks things into subjects. There is just so much, so many connections that weave between them that add value to how we understand the world and the context of the world and the need to um tease those pieces apart and you know define them and and defend them almost oh yes right as as valuable it 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 takes away something I think mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's we rank order we rank order learning yeah like that was more valuable than that, but was yeah. it? <laughs> it nah. might've been more valuable to you, but was it really more valuable to your child or your partner or anybody else for that matter? It's it's a very serious rank order system that we've put into place. Even with the trajectory of school in general, it's you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and now you're succeeded, yay. <laughs> <We're>... <laughs> and that's not really the case. We have a lot of options. There's lots of ways to go. To be flexible is, is it, it just it keep you? I keep coming back to the word free because that's yeah. the way it feels. It feels like you, um, oh my gosh, I have to remember exactly how he said it. I heard something that Elon Musk said the other day, or a quote that he had that was like, the way we share knowledge is like a mental straitjacket, mm. and it's sort of like you have to be, you have to think a certain way, and it's only within this these confines that it's okay and how that stifles people's growth. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's such a, that is, that is true. It, that's a good visual. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and the last one was um, that emotions are simply information about internal states and to not take them personally. Mm. And that for sure has been a work in progress for me because with the idea that I wanted to be mindful and aware and conscious of how I interact with my kids, there was a point in time, especially when they were younger, where I was kind of, I stressed myself out about it because in my head, it was, if I do this and this will happen. And if that doesn't happen, then I did the first thing wrong, or I could have gone this way or could have gone that way. And, and it's almost like you sit here and dissect every word you say and every behavior you have. And that is not the point. So I'm putting this out as a PSA to anybody who's listening. <laughs> you don't have to dissect everything you say and do. Um, it's more of a recognition that there are options and and our children are going to have emotions and responses to things that we say and do that are theirs and and it's not that we've created it or made it happen because they're still learning and growing and they're exploring their own emotional terrain and our i feel as if our role and this comes not just from my personal belief it's more like from science and and understanding psychology that our goals as parents is to help our children work through their emotional experiences not that we need to negate them or shame them or but but we we allow them to have them and then we also have the opportunity to talk with them about it and help help them understand how to think critically about the experience and help them learn how to respond versus react. And the best way we can teach them that is to is by example, number one. And then again, just being willing to have that open conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I love the just the idea, like the mantra there, that this is this is information. We're learning more about them alongside them, right? Mm-hmm. Helping them process it. Their emotions aren't about us. Like they're not trying to piss us off. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to ruin our day or anything like that. That it it really is about them and about um, what they're what they're feeling in the moment, etc. And I find when I got stuck in kind of that analysis place,
1: mm.
0: it was harder for me to be in the moment with them because part of my mind was doing that analysis and mm-hmm. trying to jump ahead. Oh, if I do this, what will happen? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I I feel like they could feel that energy. Like I wasn't fully there. So um, I was also less creative because part of my mind was analytical. I was a little less responsive. I was, you know, all those pieces yet when I could sink into the moment and see the learning, Um, And the observation and everything was something for me to kind of process later for myself. In that moment, I was processing, supporting their processing,
1: Mm.
0: right? Um, When I brought too much of me into that moment, um, it got in the way more than Mm -hmm. it helped. More often than not, you know (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) And later, so later is when I could do my own processing around it and learn more about, I'm learning more about them. I'm learning more about myself. And that's what we can bring into the next time something happens, right?
1: Yeah. And I, this topic can be so intense and, yeah. and can sometimes even feel like, ah, oh, just so stressful because there's so much that we are able to learn now and have access to tons of information. And I do have a tendency to be a little bit of an intense personality at times and but I do want to rec- recommend and and reiterate that there's joy and fun to be had in all of this and that playful parenting is is a massive has been a massive assistant in our lives because I'm a very silly person even though that might be hard to believe to some people, <laughs> but I am. <laughs> and so I've been very silly with my children. And, and if we see something that's funny that is discussing an emotional situation or dealing with emotions, then we, you know, we, we share it with each other or we talk about it. And you know, one of the things that my son said to me one time was, um, I had had just I don't even really know. You know how you just get sometimes you just have a busy week and you're just overwhelmed or things aren't going right or something's good and you just need to get out of the house, but nobody wants to leave. And then you're just like, but I have to get out of the house, but nobody wants to go anywhere. And then you have to wait until dad comes home. And so finally I was like, I gotta get out of here. I'm going to the store. And he was like, Mom raged quit life. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I wasn't really raging. I was just intense and I had to leave. And, you know, and he just laughed about it and thought it was funny. And then you know, there's other things about being steady and how we try our best to look at the big picture situation and not at the individual incident or the individual person, but take that bird's eye view um and and, and try to approach it in a more steady balanced way. And I do feel like that is that has happened a lot more than than a rage quit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think that reminder that there is, you know, uh, so much joy and play and mm-hmm. fun that lives alongside the harder moments. It's not one or the other. No, for the most part, you know, there is there so often is just a seeds of all. You know, almost like the yin yang, right? There are seeds mm-hmm. of other things even in these big bigger, more emotional, more challenging, stressful kinds of moments, there are seeds of all the other pieces in there, too. So it's great to remember and recognize that. And that might be a tool, or a mantra, or, you know, something, the idea of the mantras really is just little reminders of, you know, mindset switches that yes. we might want to take like a little perspective switch in a moment, this is, this is something that I want to um, explore for myself. Mm. Right, and they're just little reminders, like in a moment when I can get a little bit more tunnel-y and forget that there are other um, things, there are other perspectives I might want to try out. Those are my quick reminders, like, oh yeah, this, right? Mm-hmm. Emotions are information. Yes, you know, and I can. It sometimes it helps lighten things up. It helps me see. Um, different perspectives that when I'm kind of stuck in this tunnel, I might forget about for a while. Mm-hmm. Right. It just helps me more quickly kind of recover or get a bit or reground myself often. Right.
1: Definitely. And it's also the, the idea that you don't have to be the solver yeah. automatically that it's like you said, it's just like we were talking about, it's, it's just information. So just take the information and then, you know, Now you have more information and you can incorporate it versus putting out fires all the time. It's not about running around, putting out fires. Um, And yeah, the playful piece is huge. And it really, it really does diffuse a ton, a ton of, a ton of situations, even for ourselves. Like if, (laughs) if I find myself getting a little wound up about something and somebody says something funny or calls me out on it, I laugh. I mean, it's hilarious. You're like, yep, you're right. Yep. Yep, absolutely. That's exactly what's going on.
0: (laughs) And that's part of what's so valuable of of cultivating these, you know, connected and trusting relationships Mm -hmm. that, you know, we are open to and they are comfortable sharing. Yes. Little insights and observations that just kind of go oh. Yeah you are so right you know again you know admitting we're wrong or or that you know we've gotten focused or tunneled in some particular area that we can help each other out and our kids are so capable of helping us out too
1: right Definitely yes <laughs> yes they are here to teach us just as much as we are here to teach them right yeah, exactly. <laughs> so-
0: I am curious to know what has surprised you most about how unschooling has unfolded for your family so far at this point.
1: <laughs> wow. So surprise surprise. Let's think. Huh. I would say what's what has probably surprised me the most is the constant evolution of mm-hmm. our, my children. And I don't I don't say that from a like I didn't never think that they would evolve. It's more that it's fascinating all the different ways that they evolve. And when the, there's a ch- there's a tendency to see our children as a, at a certain age and think, "Oh, that's who they are. That's how they're going to be. They're going to be the outgoing one. they're going to be this, they're going to be that." And then they switch. Or maybe they become a little bit more quieter, a little bit more softer. And and so the the ability to recognize and to appreciate that the evolution will happen in ways that you might not ever be able to predict. And that's okay. Yeah. So <laughs> that's probably been the biggest, biggest thing for me. Because oh, love- yeah, when I think about myself at the beginning of this journey and what I was what my brain was creating for my children. You know, I had, I had, I had images in my head. I had ideas in my head and maybe even expectations about what things would look like. And not all of those have come to pass and that's okay. It's not like what I was creating was so wonderful that if they didn't do it, it's like, you know, somehow failed. It's more just that. I think that natural, thing that we do as humans is we, we like to see patterns and we recognize that if this is happening then that usually follows and that's not always the case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and that was something I also, you know, learned from my kids. It was more accepting of how I continued to grow and evolve
1: mm-hmm.
0: when I saw how wonderful it was for them. <laughs> For that, sure. Like now, I'm me. I'm an adult. You know, I'm fixed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need a t shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm an adult. I'm fixed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's mm-hmm. so funny. But it's true. You know, we get like that said earlier about the ages, how we get attached to this idea that the age equals some list of things. And mm-hmm. that is we all, we, we all know, even, even when we were children, we knew we could see it. It didn't feel real. It felt like somebody was trying to pull the wool over our eyes, but kids are, kids are smart. Yeah. <laughs> they can, they can see through it. Definitely.
0: <laughs> all right. So what is your favorite thing about your unschooling days right
1: now? Hmm. Hmm. I would say, I, I would say just the honestly, at this point, we, it's just so easy. So, so relaxed. And we have with my son being 19 and he's just, he's just a partner in our home. He's here and and coming and going. And, um, and I just love the relationships that we've built over the years. And I feel truly honored to be their mom. And so to it's as if I can, in a way, sit back and appreciate all those earlier years and the effort that I put in. And that is that that's it feels magical some days. and I'm very, very grateful that we were able to do what we were able to do. So I would say for sure that when they get older and and they have a lot more, They take more ownership over their time and how they're going to spend their days and where they're going to be. And so that also obviously frees me up (laughs) to do a lot more um, of the things that I might be interested in. And not that I was not doing stuff before. I don't want to make it sound like I couldn't do my interest because I do believe fully that our children learn how to live their lives by watching us live ours. Um, And so if we stop doing things that we love and care about, we don't want to do that because it's almost as if you're a martyr of some sort. So, but yeah, so I, I would, I would say that just they being able to sit and watch them continue to take ownership over their lives and make decisions for themselves and in ways that were different from when they were younger and, um and, and loving and, and absolutely enjoying learning and, following their interest and their passions. So,
0: because that doesn't change no matter.
1: Thing, right? <laughs> oh,
0: that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Missy. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Pam. I appreciate it so much. Oh, it's so
0: much fun. And before we go, let people know where they can connect with you online.
1: Okay. So I do have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. Let them go barefoot. And I started a podcast, which is it's on Apple and Spotify and Podbean for anybody who's on that. And I have a blog by the same name. I'm not nearly as active on that as I have been in the past, but there are some older pieces that I've written and um, you can connect with me through that. So yeah, those are the, those are the main ones. Perfect. We will have links to all of those in the show notes. And thanks again, Missy. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Pam. You too. Bye-bye.
0: I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey and be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the living joyfully network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website,
1: livingjoyfully.ca.